one word, the one word that makes it all possible, and that word is sell. I want you to get out there and sell, sell, sell. I want you to sell your socks off. I want you to sell it. It's all about sell. Good morning, and welcome to episode 211 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindberg, joined by Sam Miller. How was your long weekend? It was great. Yeah. Uh, how How was yours? Also very good. You sound a little down. Um, I'm not. Yeah. Okay. You maybe just uh, out of practice. Yes, maybe I am it was a bit so rusty. Long since we podcast, <laughs> that extra day off. So you didn't sneak in and uh, and put something up? No, I thought about it. Two, I really two eleven or I thought hard. Uh, I I was close to to seeing who was online and seeing if we could record a quick episode just to stay on the, the multiple of five schedule. Is there because... anything that is there anything that keeps us from just saying that this is two on two? <laughs> I mean, like like does would iTunes revolt if we put two on two in the in the title or, or something like that? No, I don't think so. But we we wouldn't be true to ourselves. Uh huh. Yeah, but it'd be a lot easier to keep track. Yeah. So anyway, now we're now we're doomed to, I guess, months of, of not being on multiple of five schedule. Yeah, we'll lose one on July 4th, and we'll lose one on uh, on Veterans uh, Labor Day, uh-huh. and we'll lose one on uh, <laughs> You've maybe, mapped out all maybe our Veterans days, Day. Our days off. Although, although you know, now that I think about it, we'll lose we'll 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 lose those three, and then we'll need one more, and we'll we might actually make it until Thanksgiving, which would be two days off, oh. and. Uh, that would set us back to to one off. So, uh, you pro- yeah, you probably should have mapped this out. Yeah, in your head before you decided not to well, log on. Anyway, maybe I'll we're maybe here I'll now. do two episodes one day. I'll do an extra episode if I can't if I can't there's take only, it anymore. You you are the only person in the world who cares yes. about this, and I and I barely barely <laughs> care about it, and I'm far ahead of the rest of the world. So I don't know why we're <laughs> talking about this while recording. We probably could have just made small talk. Yes. Probably. Before you click start. All right, let's go ahead. Let's move okay. on. Move forward. What What do you want to talk about? Jose Canseco. Huh, okay. Uh, I want to talk about. I think the Phillies and the Blue Jays. Of course. Yeah. We're uh, going to be reliving the 1993 World <laughs> Series, I assume, right? Uh, this is all well, the 20th anniversary of the 1993 World yeah, Series. Yeah, I guess so. That was that's like the first World Series I remember watching, really. Because you're a child. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's start with yours. Okay. Uh, so over the weekend, R.J. Anderson emailed uh, you and me and some other people. He's kind of laying the groundwork for his uh, annual article of of top deadline targets and players who will be available and players who will be traded. Uh, and it seemed like the the most discussion on that email thread was related to. Phillies guys, because RJ didn't originally put any Phillies guys on his kind of rough list of 15 or so guys. And I answered and said, what about Phillies guys? And Zach Levine answered and said, what about Phillies guys? And we talked a bit about uh, whether the Phillies would be dealing or not. Um, And I guess there were a couple of Blue Jays guys on the list also, or at least one. And uh, I guess Memorial Day has kind of traditionally been a a time when people size up who the contenders are or, or who's definitely out of it or who's a seller. 
Um, I don't know that you can do that anymore with the, the multiple wildcard system, uh, but I don't know. Uh, it, it is a, a time of year when people sort of take stock of teams and where they stand. And these seem like two of the more interesting buyer, seller, holder discussions uh, this year. So I guess I'm, I'm wondering whether these teams will be sellers and and which players they are most likely to sell. So I guess to, to some extent, I'm uh, I'm asking us to project what will happen in June and July, because obviously if these teams play really, really well between now and then, that could change everything. Um, but I wish I'd, yeah, I wish I'd paid attention last. I probably did and have forgotten, but I was, wish I'd remembered kind of where the line was drawn, where the cut was last year, between last year's trade dan- deadline. Yeah, between buyers, sellers, and, and holders, because it is a whole new, it is a whole new math that you can't necessarily do. Like in my head, it was like uh, probably probably six games was like the very, the very closest you could be and still be selling, and and that was guaranteed to to raise some hackles back back in the day. But you would see a team that was maybe within six games at the deadline sell off, uh, you know, with two months to go, which is probably a, a pretty good. Um, awareness of of the unlikeliness unlikelihood of of coming back but would you know would always it kind of looked bad if you did it you know six games back and then you know you'd probably would say like nine or ten would be like the 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 common selling point but now everybody's i mean i i mentioned in that same email thread i mentioned uh the a's Mm -hmm. which uh you know the a's are you know they're they're well, I guess now, that was they've won four in a row. So they were basically at about 500 when we were having the emails. Now they're six over 500. So they were just a little over 500. And, of course, now there's no chance the A's will sell. So they're, they're not worth talking about. But, like, the Angels right. were mentioned. Yes. in The Angels were not only mentioned in that, that email thread, but the, I think I did a chat on Friday. I was asked about who the Angels will will trade for if they're buyers and who they'll trade for if they're sellers. And it seemed absurd that they would be buyers to me, and it seemed like a lock that they would be sellers, although they don't have a, a ton of pieces that, that are kind of classic trade-type guys because everybody's signed forever. Um, but the Angels are only five games out of the second wild card mm-hmm. slot right now. And, and they're winning I don't a lot know what, suddenly. They are, but let's say they were five games. Is five games out? I mean, five games out of the second wild card slot is is quite a bit because you figure there's like five teams between you and that spot probably and uh you're probably not that close to the division so you're not you're not really probably going to be in a lot of play for a guaranteed spot and if you get the wild card spot you have a you know a coin flips chance so like would the angels be sellers if the deadline were right now do you think uh no i don't think so i mean it's kind of hard to have a a one-size-fits-all cutoff that's because true. obviously teams have different amounts of talent and different amounts of money committed and different projections for the rest of the season. So uh, a team like the Angels that was expected to compete and that is spending a lot of money to compete and and would have a better projection than, I don't know, say maybe a, a team like the Rockies or something who are actually playing better but probably wouldn't be expected to play as well the rest of the way. Um, so, I, I mean, the Phillies... I think have the third highest payroll in baseball. Uh, they, let's see, they had, uh, we gave them 
less than a 10% chance to make the playoffs uh, as of Monday morning, and then they lost on Monday. So, I mean, not much more than like a 5% chance or something is, is what we're giving them now. They're only, I guess, three games under 500, but they're behind two very good teams in their own division. And, uh, and then the Blue Jays had a 2.3% chance to make the playoffs, according to our playoff odds on Monday. They won Monday. Uh, so both of these teams are, are in single digits, roughly, I don't know, roughly five-ish percent chance to, to make the playoffs with with a lot of good teams ahead of them. Uh, but the Phillies, of course, still have a bunch of stars. They still have a high payroll. They have Ruben Amaro, who it's sort of hard to, to predict what what he's thinking or, or planning to do at any time. I think the reason RJ left Phillies off of his initial list was that he just felt like uh, Amaro wouldn't be willing to sell or, or that he wouldn't have that sort of mindset to just kind of break it all down uh, and, and rebuild. Um, and then, of course, the Blue Jays, I, I would think psychologically it makes it somewhat different if you've just spent the winter making tons of trades and signings and ramping up to compete in 2013 i would think just psychologically it must be it must be harder if you're not jeffrey loria to just a few months later uh decide to to dismantle um and of course and they have plenty of guys signed through next season so it's not as if they have a a ton of impending free agents they have josh johnson i guess will be a free agent but other than that, you could you could see a contending team in Toronto next season, maybe with some better luck going their way or fewer injuries. They kind of have a, a core that you could see competing. Uh, with the Phillies, it seems a little harder to see that. Even their their young players, and there aren't many of them, but I mean their their outfield is kind of where their young players are, I guess, and and that's not been a, a highlight for them. I mean Ben Revere hasn't really hit at all. Dominic Brown has hit for some power, but hasn't really gotten on base. And and Delman Young is Delman Young. Um, so I wonder. Uh, I don't know. Do you do you expect do you expect either one to be a big time seller? Do you think uh, maybe the Blue Jays would say trade Johnson, but but hold on to everyone else who's signed for the future? Or they're kind of in a weird place because they started that process to convert minor league talent into major league talent and that talent hasn't worked out the way everyone thought it would. So now what do they do? Yeah. So like with the blue Jays, if, if they, I mean, if they traded for prospect, I mean, if they basically broke this down and rebuilt their farm system now, uh, Alex Anthopoulos would just get fired. Right. I mean, there's, there's virtually, there's virtually no chance that he would be back to, to, to be the GM uh, next year. So do you do you think that that's the sort of thing that um, motivates GMs? Do you think there are many manager uh, general managers out there who are filtering through this sort of self-interest of what's going to save their job? Do, or I mean, it, it has uh, to do, be and a do you think factor. It's common? A factor, but is it the factor, do you think? Uh, do you think it's often the factor? Is it mostly the factor? Should it be? Well, you you wouldn't want it to be if, if you were... The, the owner of the team um, would it be yours uh i'd like to say no <laughs> i mean i've never been in that position but 
I mean, there would be a point, I guess. I mean, Anthopolis is a, a young guy and at least up until recently had a, a reputation as a, a good general manager. And you would think that he would get another chance somewhere. So maybe it's not the end of the line for him, no matter what happens. Maybe that makes it a little less urgent. Um, I mean, I don't know. You can't, it, it would be kind of uh, unrealistic, I feel like, to expect a GM to be completely selfless and just put the organization before him and not even think about his own contract status and his family and his earning potential and all of those things. Uh, but of course, that's kind of part of the job, I guess, to, to put the organization before yourself. Um, so I don't know. I don't think a good GM would would make really destructive moves uh, just to, to strengthen his own job security. But I would think if it came down to kind of trying to, to milk something out of a potential contender, uh, as opposed to just tearing it down and, and basically guaranteeing that you're going to lose your job, that I, I would think at that point it has to be something on your mind. Yeah, I think if you if you were convinced that it was really the best thing for the organization to tear down and um, and and start over, I think you'd probably would have to go to the to the owner and or the team president and say, you know, my best advice for this team is to do this, and if that's what you guys want to do. Uh, and you want me to be in charge of it, then that would, you know, I'll do my very best. If not, then, um, you know, we can talk about my resignation right now. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think that you probably should be realistic. Um, the the odds are that you're, uh, if you're in that position, the odds are not really that you're going to find a, an escape hatch anyway. Uh, and you might as well, you know, go out with a little bit of, of class and dignity or class is probably the wrong word and dignity is probably the wrong word, but maybe integrity mm-hmm. is the right word. Uh, so anyway, to answer your question, I think that the blue Jays, um, uh, I, I would expect them to, uh, to shop, um, uh, some combination of Johnson, Morrow and, uh, and, uh, did I say Johnson yes. yet? And Burley. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would think that, that, to some, to, for some reason, or I mean, not necessarily all three. In fact, almost certainly not all three, but some combination of uh, of the three. Uh, you know, with an emphasis on Johnson, because I think that Burley probably uh, wasn't necessarily the the you know the the key cog in that deal. For instance, I imagine that uh, you know Burley probably to some degree was a guy that they took more than they really wanted. Although you know, pitching depth was such a big thing for them last year that. There was also probably something attractive about Burley, but you know he's not—he's not young. It's not a—you uh, know—it's—he's not a—he's not a franchise pitcher. He's just sort of a guy who they—you know—who fell into their laps more than anything. And so when he starts slow, you—you you figure, ah, well, if we can get anything for him, he's not a huge part of our plans for next year. And uh, Morrow is just—I don't know—I I think that it might just be a matter of uh, if they think that he's. Um, you know, if they think that the league's opinion of him is higher than their own, mm-hmm. and they have presumably better information, then I could see them, uh, you know, getting rid of him before he continues to to devalue himself. But I, I would I would like to think that they would do. I mean, they're they're a team that is in some ways uh, in a position like the Rays, even though they haven't had any success. Um, the Rays are constantly trying to. 
you know, rebuild their success without putting themselves in any long-term holes. And the Blue Jays are trying to uh, rebuild <laughs> their success that they, they haven't had, but that they're trying to capture without going back into that long-term rebuild, which probably nobody in the area has the patience for. So I would think that they would shop those guys but be looking for the sort of players who are uh, more close to big league ready mm-hmm. than um, you know 19 years old. Um, they might be looking for guys who already have some service time uh, or um, uh, uh, you know who are young and who would kind of fit the model for what they're doing but without signaling to their fans that it's going to be 2015 rather than 2014. Mm-hmm. And then the Phillies, uh, I guess... They're, who do the Phillies? Who could the Phillies move? Well, that they would want to move. I mean, they, there's they, Cliff Lee, they move I guess, Cliff who has Lee. Yeah, been Cliff traded Lee what and, four times already in his career, so he's he's used to it. Uh, there's, there's Utley, Papelbon, and there's Utley. Yeah, there's right? there's Ruiz, I guess. Uh, uh-huh. Michael Young, who is who has been decent, uh, and he's mm-hmm. going to be a free agent. Utley will be a free agent. Um, I guess those are the obvious ones. I've I've heard Papelbon mentioned in rumors. Yeah, well, they I mean they traded guys. They were further out last year, but they traded veterans last yeah. year. So it's clearly not something that they don't have the constitution for. I, I think right now they're too. They would probably consider themselves too close. Uh, but in two months, they might not consider themselves too close. It's, they're they're just a they're just a classic bubble team. It's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think that their their move will be pretty clear to them. And to all of us, depending on you know where they are in a month and a half, isn't it? I mean, doesn't it seem like maybe you could you could gain some benefit by not waiting that month and a half? I mean, is there really any uncertainty about whether the Phillies are contenders at this point? I mean, they're not so far back. They're not so far under five hundred. They're not so far back in the standings, I guess. But just kind of evaluating where they stand and what their chances are i wonder how much more clear that will be really in in a month and a half or two months i mean if they're if they're playoff odds and uh, you know playoff odds obviously teams defy them often but uh if they are sub 10 percent if they're five-ish percent now i wonder whether you could get more value by trading those guys now, if you could find takers, uh, rather than waiting a couple months for your playoff odds to go from five to zero, um, and meanwhile you could be kind of the first seller on the market and give a contender these players for two more months of the season and, mm-hmm. and get much more from them than you would from a for a typical rental and in July 31st. It seems like if you're if they were kind of being honest about themselves and what their expectations are, and who knows, maybe maybe we are wrong, maybe I am wrong. Uh, obviously, they finished very very strong last season. They finished at 500 after trading a bunch of guys. Um, so I don't know, but it, it seems like there's there's something to be gained by selling early if you're if you're pretty sure that you're going to be a seller rather than wait for a hundred percent certainty that you should be a seller, you could kind of just strike before everyone else and get more back. Well, that's probably something that's worth doing some research on. That probably is a decent article topic. Um, the, I mean, first off, nobody gets traded before the June draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're, 
you're talking about the difference between late July and, and really mid or, or late mm-hmm. June. And it would be interesting to see what the difference in value is for trades made a month earlier. Because if it if it's significant, uh, if teams basically are treating these trades rationally and, and there is some significant benefit to trading in June, then you know maybe it would show up in past mm-hmm. trades. And, uh, and it would make sense for the Phillies. But if uh, I mean, the, when a team trades for these guys, um, I think in their heads, particularly, an overwhelming um, amount, uh, an overwhelming portion of the value they expect to get out of the players is in October, and they're going to get that whether they trade for them in July or in June, uh, in their heads. And so it wouldn't surprise me if the price is essentially the same at the end of July as it is at the end of June. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're a team. Really, if you're, I mean, as we've talked about, if you're a team that's, you know, one of the 24 best teams in baseball, you basically at this point want to put yourself in a position to make uh, as many flukish runs as possible. So you you don't ever want to give up on a season uh, until you have Mm -hmm. to. Um, So I would think that I would think that the value of those players would probably would probably be uh, higher to the team like the Phillies that's figuring out whether they're a five percent team or, or a 35 percent playoff team uh than than any sort of return they would get but i might be wrong it, it might be that historically june trades have actually brought back a great deal more value all right well maybe one of us will look into that yeah um you know the, the other thing is that um that you are assuming that you're going to get some benefit from being the first seller but there might actually be fewer buyers yep, in true. June mm-hmm. uh, than July because, you know, a team like the Phillies might, you know, as an example, a team like the Phillies is obviously not a buyer right now. If they whipped off, you know, an 11-game winning streak around the All-Star break, all of a sudden they are. So teams might actually be playing themselves into the buying market mm-hmm. as well. Okay. Canseco? So um, Canseco's uh, insane uh, at this right. point. And I was talking to a staff member and uh, I... I I didn't get permission to mention him, so okay. if, if I can, I'm just going to say a staff yes. member. Uh, and we were talking about how Canseco went from being sort of, uh, you know, uh, kind of crazy to amusingly crazy mm-hmm. to uh, to scary crazy and not funny mm-hmm. at all. And um, and how kind of rare Canseco is as a baseball player who's kind of gone completely over the edge and of course the context of anybody's not paying attention Canseco has uh you know over the last few years cultivated this weird personality on the internet on twitter as kind of a i don't know almost like the baseball donald trump i would say like very <laughs> with, with uh, no with no real power or uh yeah i guess i guess personality wise that is that's accurate yeah, very, very hyperbolic, very brash, very, uh, you know, proud of himself and, you know, bad at spelling and kind of socially disastrous. Um, but uh, Canseco has been accused of sexual assault. Uh, he is being investigated, though not charged yet. And he responded to this by naming his accuser, uh, uh, publishing her phone number, publishing pictures of her, and essentially taunting her um, over the last week in really kind of disturbing and grotesque and disgusting ways that I think almost nobody finds amusing. Um, and uh, he's also, incidentally, uh, playing baseball again. He's, I think, 49 years old, 48, 49. Mm-hmm. 
and he's playing for the Fort Worth Cats of, a, of an independent league. Um, and he homered this weekend. He also doubled this weekend. He also, uh, in between a doubleheader, had a home run derby against his brother, Ozzy, who's a manager in the mm-hmm. league, and uh, one player on each team. And my favorite detail about this home run derby, because it's the independent league, uh, is that there were three rounds uh, in this home run derby, and in the three rounds, the four players uh, combined to hit eight home runs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one guy hit one. Two guys hit two, and Jose won with three home runs in a three-round contest. <laughs> I wish the real one were more like that. Just, it would be over should, so much actually, more quickly. We should probably talk about the home run derby at some point and, and how we would fix it other than picking better players because it does seem like setting the, the moving the wall either 100 feet closer or 300 feet back would make it a lot more yeah. fun, one way or the other. Uh, but uh, anyway, the, the point is just that uh, it seems – to uh it seems to me that that baseball players are not they're not chosen well maybe maybe they are maybe this will maybe i'm preempting what you're going to say but athletes in general are chosen for their ability to run fast lift things throw things hit things uh and they're not chosen for their personality skills uh and in fact they're often chosen uh I don't mean literally chosen, but their skills benefit from having the exact opposite of good social skills, from having almost sociopathic uh, uh, tendencies toward uh, self-absorption and self-improvement. And uh, yet there are 800, 900, 1,000 players in the major leagues, um, and uh, very few turn out to be in, like completely insane. And, and doesn't it seem like there should be more Jose Canseco's out there. Isn't it odd that we have all these people who, um, you know, are idolized from the time they're, uh, you know, 13 years old or, or even younger. I mean, the, the best player in a little league gets an enormous sense of self, uh, as early as probably seven or eight, um, completely loaded with, with money once they grow up, uh, attention that would, uh, probably turn anybody uh, into uh, uh, some sort of a, a self-absorbed monster as a as an adult, uh, and then forced out of the sport when they're still very young. I mean, part of what makes Jose Canseco so very Jose Canseco Ian is that he's 48 and still trying to play, mm-hmm. uh, still still playing in these like horrible leagues, uh, and and being uh, incidentally, I don't know if everybody is aware of this, but he's he's been doing independent leagues on and off for like six years and he's been terrible yes. he's been like a right. 170 180 are, hitter the I mean, entire people time. are mostly just signing him as a publicity stunt at this point they are yes yes they are um but you know the the canseco archetype of the, the the old player who refuses to hang it up and goes to the independent league uh or you know goes to mexico you find out that benji gill was playing in mexico up until last year um you know that the to be forced into retirement at such a young age uh seems like it could have some serious uh, effects on your personality. Um, and yet, very few go full, full, full mental. They go full, uh, full, fully deranged. Very few go fully deranged. And so I was just wondering, do you think that baseball uh, as a sport, Major League Baseball as a kind of an industry, has any, uh, any blame in Jose Canseco turning into what he is and or... Do you think that Major League Baseball as an industry has any gets any credit for there not being more Jose Canseco's out there? Huh. Uh, I guess I, w- I don't know if it gets credit, but I, I guess uh, it seems like other sports or other leagues maybe 
have a reputation for having more of those guys. And I don't know whether there's a, a racial component to it, um, but it, it does seem like, I mean, people will, will talk about football players or certain football teams that have had a bunch of guys get accused of things or, or, or convicted of things. Uh, and there will be sort of a, a cynical attitude about those players and those sports. And I guess baseball maybe... Right has sort of a cleaner image it's true i think that generally speaking um uh middle mainstream middle brow uh journalists probably are a lot less threatened by southern hunters with guns (laughs) than uh by that guy who shot himself in the foot or whatever yes that guy was i think so uh so that there is there is certainly a uh, gatekeeper effect i think in play Mm -hmm. here uh, relative to others yeah uh so uh, and I, I mean, I guess was I, I don't really remember, but was was Canseco perceived at all this way before while you know while he was a star while he was in the majors before Twitter? Did we know that he was crazy? It's hard to say because I mean he did have well he was a scandal guy. I mean like he drove I, as I recall he like drove his car into his wife's car he had a very messy divorce and like i think he i think he he crashed his car into his wife's car mm-hmm. um and uh he you know he bounced around so much and that can really go either way you can say oh well you know there are always teams willing to sign him in ways that like no one was willing to sign Barry Bonds uh after 2006 or you could say well you know he never stuck anywhere for more than 6 months but i mean you could say that about a lot of players mm-hmm. who have you know, no personality hangups at all. I mean, everybody loves Edwin Jackson. I mean, he's completely beloved, I think, in, in most clubhouses. Uh, and, and he bounces around a lot, too. So I don't know if there's any correlation there. Uh, but, yeah, he, I mean, he was he was somewhat cra- – I mean, he wasn't Dennis Rodman quite, mm-hmm. but he was the closest thing I think baseball had to Dennis Rodman. He, you know, he dated Madonna. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was I, – I assume that his steroid use was fairly well-known within the game. If, if he's telling any truth whatsoever, he was sort of a – a drug pusher uh, in the league, so. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess this sort of thing will will become more more common now that there's this very completely unfiltered medium for for athletes to express their thoughts to the world. Um, so I guess that makes it easier. I mean, there's a perception that that baseball players are less colorful as a group than they used to be that there used to be all these off the wall personalities and that now everyone is just kind of drilled to be bland uh and and not say anything that draws attention to them or to their team in a negative way and that there's so much money at stake that players are unwilling to say anything interesting really um just on the off chance that it might offend someone or or might bring negative attention to them. Uh, so I, I guess there are a lot of pressures on players not to be Jose Canseco now uh, in a way that maybe there weren't when there wasn't as much money in the game. But there's also, uh, it's much easier to to be Jose Canseco now because you can just get a million followers or however many Twitter followers he has just by virtue of being a, a famous baseball player. And then be completely crazy uh and there is no one there's no pr person standing in your way of saying anything there's there's no reporter maybe not reporting certain things which may have been the convention earlier in the game 
um, in the game's history. So I don't know whether whether there will be more of these guys or fewer of these guys because of those two competing factors. Um, I mean, I guess he's not unique. I don't know. I'm trying to trying to think of other people who are kind of publicly like. I mean, just if you. I mean, there there have been other sort of ugly baseball player stories, like the Elijah Dukes stories, uh, are similarly mm-hmm. disturbing. Um, of course, he wasn't the same player and and wasn't at the same level of fame because of that. Uh, and there's the the kind of Jim Larritt's breakdown and and the DUI and all of those things. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, I don't. Your question was whether baseball deserves any blame for for someone like Canseco. And I don't mean I don't mean Bud Selig or, or anything like that. I just mean in the abstract is that is what we've set up. Do, you know, do we all have any any blood on our hands or <laughs> whatever the case <laughs> well, may be? Well, uh, I mean, I guess we've we've certainly enabled Canseco and his craziness by following him and retweeting him and kind of making him this internet celebrity for reasons uh, disconnected from his his playing ability. I mean. And there have been times when when Canseco and Twitter Canseco's Twitter was kind of fun. Like he was crazy in a in a non-threatening and disturbing way. Um, I mean, it was always kind of tinged with with pity, I guess, or there was sort of a a pathetic aspect to his self-delusion, or at least. And and yet there was it was always kind of like we weren't really sure whether he was playing a character or not. Uh, or whether he like had writers writing crazy Canseco tweets, or whether he was doing it to get attention, but didn't actually believe the things that he would say, like when he was 45 and said he could still be an all-star in the major leagues or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. I guess if we if we continued to follow him and retweet him and make a big deal every time he says something weird on Twitter now. Uh, I mean, if he's if he's found guilty of this, or if he does similar things, then I I guess we're kind of complicit in it up to this point. I I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, I guess no more so than than any celebrity athlete or otherwise who kind of goes through a breakdown and sells a lot of tabloids and and is on TV all the time because evidently we we like to watch famous people kind of very publicly break down. Yeah, we like to give him that final kick. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Let's talk tomorrow. Oh, emails yeah. tomorrow. Yeah, send us some. Uh, podcast at baseballprospectus.com, and we will answer them on tomorrow's show.